We are all worthy, strong, and committed, and we are ready to go beyond our own limitations. Welcome back, my friends and loved ones, to the Rebel Minded Podcast. I'm your host, Zach, with my co-host, Thor, of course, and I'm here as a friend, a creator, a powerlifter, and a provocateur. And we are here to learn to question the one thing that keeps us from our best, ourselves. Join me as we dive deep to question and strengthen our communication and our vulnerability, create a healthier mind to commit to our goals, and how to give more to our lovers and the world. We're going to face the uncomfortable truths of what it means to be authentically and uniquely flawed, but awesome humans. So, let's get rebel-minded. Also, I'll bring in stories of all things powerlifting, Thor shenanigans, and probably some embarrassing mishaps. Let's do this. What a week, ladies and gentlemen. What what a week. Um, without spilling the beans too much, it's it's been a tough one. And uh, everybody's kind of in for an extra this week. Uh, not because there is anything extra, but because I... <laughs> I missed out on getting last week's podcast up. So I'll have 57 and 58 up. I'm so stoked for you guys to hear uh, episode 58 with Kat Avery this week. She is an amazing person. Her, her mind is always questioning. She's, she's probably one of the most conditionally rebel minded people I think that I've met as far as the the coaching world and the world of, of self-improvement i think she's absolutely fantastic you guys are gonna love her um but let's do a little bit of reflection right so how did this week go for everybody you know what especially what were the tough things and the reason i want to say ask about the tough things is because it really tests our resolve it tests our ability to know what lies are in our head what things are an untruth what things are are not true to our character that are not true to our lives and our dreams and what we're after and what we have to endure because mine this week was a huge test and I myself have a problem with breaking and you know finding things to to numb me out or to give me a dopamine dump and they're not necessarily bad. The question is, are, do you have control of those things? Are you capable of feeling your feelings and processing and saying, no, that's actually not what I need. I need something more healthy. I need to push away from this because I need to test my discipline. I need to understand that on the tough side of this is my confidence and my self-esteem and my power. So... This last week has done that a lot for me, especially when we spend a lot of time bending over backwards for other people. When we're being very accommodating for other people, we endure a lot of stress. We we try to overcome a lot of anger and a lot of resentment, and we try to reason with what it is that we have to do for other people. When the truth is, you don't have to do anything for other people. We should be happy to do what we do want to do for people. But when it turns into a repetition and a stressful situation in a position where 
we start to be bothered and, and resentful at other people for being unaware of the importance of our own time and our self-love and the time that we need to recover and the time we need to process and the time we need to actually spend loving ourselves and being there for ourselves and recover and like I said recovering very repetitive tonight but uh, I hope you get what I mean so don't let people stomp on you don't let people tackle you don't let people take advantage of you because in certain positions people of power will take advantage of what you give and the more that you give the more that they realize they have the power over you to get what they want or what they need and despite what a lot of people think, I think there is a lot of transactional success that lies in our relationships with people. They say love isn't supposed to be tr- transactional. Maybe, maybe not. But in the business world and the logical world and the reality of things, if you feel like you're giving too much to somebody else and not getting back enough, if you don't feel like you're being heard, if you don't feel like you're being asked for your own needs, then I think you need to question on what you give. I think you need to question your boundaries. I think you need to question your ability or inability to stand up for yourself and stay no to people. So beyond that, without further ado, I want you to hear from Kat. This is Kat Avery. I will um, I will speak her bio from her point of view, because that's the way that she gave it to me. Um, Apart from that, I hope you guys have built some strength this week. I hope that you've built some self-awareness. I hope that you've built some love for yourself. Now on to the episode. In the words of Catherine Avery, if I can simply put it, perhaps my niche is how to move through fear. Being raised Mormon, I was taught fear. Some directly, some indirectly. I believe it stagnated my growth. I was scared to do life alone without a man. Scared that I couldn't do anything else well except be a fantastic stay-at-home mother and wife. I've been able to prove myself wrong by action. Some of it was forced on me. I did not become self-employed because I wanted to. I did it because I had to. Or at least it didn't feel like a choice. I did not become comfortable being single by choosing it. My ex-husband filed for divorce, and I wouldn't have stayed in my marriage forever. Of course, I could have chosen to jump into another relationship immediately, get married again, etc. But my soul knew I had to choose differently. I work with women who want more from this life. They are questioning how they were raised and how society wants them to show up. I have worked with therapists as well who struggle with connecting to themselves as they provide it to many clients daily. I work with women who have dreams but aren't sure where to start. Basically those who feel quote-unquote stuck. I struggle with fear daily, so of course imposter syndrome sets in. But when I look back on my life, I see that I have moved through so many obstacles. Married young, army wife who raised kids basically on my own, divorce, self-employment, competing in bodybuilding shows, consciously staying single, starting a life coaching business, navigating another big heartbreak, leaving the LDS religion behind for good, and now trying to build a life coaching practice full-time. 
I see fear being the biggest issue. I've heard more than a thousand times from friends, family, and clients, this is just the way that I am. I can see others want so much more but are so afraid to stretch just a little bit. Taking a peek onto the other side seems daunting for many. So we stay in our patterns and behaviors and think it's only for others to achieve goals, etc. I believe if 2020 taught us anything is that no one is going to save me. Not a relationship, the government, COVID checks, etc. I have to shoot my shot. And so do you. Welcome to Cat Avery. So how have you been? How have things been? Are we starting? <laughs> we, we are now. We are now. I know, I know. <laughs> this is how the good podcasters do it. They just like start talking and then well, always know. I um, know how are Kat. things been? Things have been good or well, I should say. My uh, English major mother would kick my ass if she knew I said good instead of well. Things have been oh. well, Zach. How, how have things been for you? <laughs> Very well. Very amazingly well. Amazingly Fantastically well. well. You All know the what? well things. Actually, I'm just going to cut to the bullshit immediately and say that things have not been well. I okay. had a hard winter. Um, n- nothing tragic or bad happened, but um, I get seasonal affective disorder. It's just what happens now since mm-hmm. I moved to Idaho. I've never experienced it before in my life until I moved to Idaho. Um, so I think the last couple of months have been a struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel myself lifting out of it. I feel things are getting better. I um, feel more confident, more uh, assured, more all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think I like what I've noticed in the last couple of years is I have to understand this is kind of just part of who I am now. I'm going to have a little slump and then I'm going to come back out of it. And now mm-hmm. I'm coming back out of it like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, winter time. Times are hard in Idaho for me. They they definitely can be. And, you know, for me, I know it's a lot of the uh, it's the vitamin D thing. It, you know, mm-hmm. I I instinctively love the sunshine. Um, so I get super excited yeah. about the spring and the summer. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that being inside a lot of the time obviously takes away that vitamin D. And I am not great at taking my supplements. So... I know. I I'm feel somewhat either. vitamin like, D I'll deficient do really anyway. Well. Yeah, I'll do really great for like three weeks straight with all my vitamins, my pill packs, and like all that stuff. Like, and then I just stop. And then I'm like, oh, and then I take it again. Who knows? Either way, <laughs> I'm happy that it's springtime and I'm happy. Like, I know it's so nice to see the I'm flowers so on the trees. Uh, so I good. I know. So good. And you know what I've noticed is that like I like at the gym or like where I'm at, I've noticed that like people are like flirting with each other more, like people mm-hmm. are talking more. So it's like the film Bambi, where like it's Twitter yeah. paid, Twitter painted season. Are, I swear to God, you are the only other person that I've heard use that word. Really? I say it and people are like, what? You know what? I'm You're like, right. Cause I used it the other day and someone was like, what does that mean? I'm like, have you not seen the film Bambi from like 1939 or whatever was released. <laughs> but, <laughs> but everybody's it's true. But yeah, it's true. Totally. Yeah. Very true. Um yeah, yeah that Twitter pated feeling. Fantastic. I know. I love it. I look I don't know if it's the sunshine or like seeing smiles. It is. The, what have you thought about COVID? Because the thing for me is oh geez, we're I, I think that I'm super like I'm 
psychologically getting super irritated that I can't see smiles. I can't see expressions. I can't see faces. Um, it's been interesting. Yeah. I kind of hate it. I don't kind of hate it. I actually hundred percent hate it. Um, I didn't realize what a mouth reader I was until mm. someone wore a mask, but like, so, you know, people will look in people's eyes. I'm more, I more like look at people's mouths when I talk mm -hmm. anyway. So yeah, I have a hard time hearing people. Like mm -hmm. I can't understand what they're saying. Um, I don't like it at all. Uh, yeah, I hate it. <laughs> You're so bluntly honest. Yeah, I'm know. actually glad that you came on like that because I mean, there's a, there's a position of honesty that has to be taken, you know, there's this idea that, you know, we need to believe in ourselves and we need to be positive. But if we ignore the stuff in the moment of, you know, maybe not disgust, but, you know, being uncomfortable or being not at our best, if you don't acknowledge it, do you really, do you really, do you really process it? Do you really grow through it? Well, you know, a hundred percent you don't, because we all know, like when you stuff your feelings inside of yourself mm -hmm. and you're not, you're, you don't express them or you feel like you're not allowed to express them. Those feelings come out in other ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, they come out through all sorts of maladaptive strategies, which is they're maladaptive. They're not good for you, you mm -hmm. know, and they lead to goodness, uh, bad behaviors, addictive, or all sorts of addictions, um, isolation. I mean, all sorts of things, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. like, like what you repress will come out. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Um, I definitely know the male side of that more. I know what things tend to come out of that suppression, um, not just for my own personal experience, but what I understand from the male mind mm -hmm. and you see it all over the place and it's hard to ignore once you see it a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see it's that a lot? Like with the... the veil is lifted from your eyes and you're like, all of a sudden you yeah. can see everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost hard to to keep your eyes on it, right? Because you know, and it kind of hurts internally, even though it's a different person. It does hurt. And then yeah. the way I process other people's pain is sometimes I get angry about it, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I get angry. I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is where Kat and I click a lot the most. <laughs> Maybe not the most, but very easily because there's yeah. this mental... Little person that swears in the background all the time, and it's e yeah. it easily comes out, and then people are like, Ugh. "No, oh, like it, oh, it, easy. it." I will say that it enrages me to see people like with their eyes downcast, with their shoulders mm -hmm. slumped, when mm -hmm. they're looking down at the ground. Like that enrages me, and I feel like COVID has um, whether people have already had that, yeah, exasperated it, yes. And it just made it worse and worse and worse. You know, I was mm -hmm. talking to someone the other day and she's like, oh, I love it. I just put my ear earphones in and I wear sunglasses and a mask and no one can talk to me when I go to the grocery store or when yeah. I go to whatever. And I was like, yeah. oh, great. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Because the reason we all feel stuck or we feel disconnected or we feel uh, limited in our growth is because we have zero connection with people. And this just further, further exasperated that. Yeah, so it's really, really frustrating for me. Well, I think I, I, it's weird because just the other day I was thinking about this because I was listening to um, an interview with David Goggins and mm. he was talking about. He's all stay hard. <laughs> yeah. The guy's so intense. Sometimes I can't listen it's, to him. So he's so intense. 
but he was talking about hard for 30 seconds and the next six minutes of his videos are him like pumping iron and he's like lifting he's running and yeah (laughs) he's totally a badass i'll give him that i listen i'm not saying he's not (laughs) yeah uh but he was talking about what was that stay hard zach (laughs) stay hard i'm i'm kind of a softy i'm alfalfa i'm not a lover you know or i'm a lover not a fighter you are a lover uh, okay very oh so much um i know I, I like cuddles more than more than fisticuffs, you know? Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that, hey, that's okay. I own it. I will tell everybody in the gym, you know what? You fuck off. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like my cuddles. You shove it up your butt. Uh, so what I really want to get into, Kat, is I want everybody to hear your story. Because I have, I have bits and pieces of your story. You know, we've known each other for, what, a, a year or two now? Probably-ish. <laughs> No, I think it's been two. It's been two? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I honestly am impressed by your resilience. But from your perspective, it's been this uh, this movement through fear, as you were talking about. Hmm. And I want people to kind of understand that. So can you tell me, like, tell us about your history and like what what kind of things you were facing, what you're experiencing, how you found out what you were suffering with and like what type of things actually started getting you through it? Oh, that's a really big question. I um, always ask big so questions. I know. So how uh, is the question, how have I moved through fear? Yeah. I mean, I think people should hear your story and, and so they can get an idea of where you come from with this idea. Yeah. Well, okay. So I was raised on a ranch in Northern California, um, which I am so grateful for, by the way, because I feel like it gave me a really good background and on the platform I'm really interested in talking about is resiliency, grit, courage, and grace. Um, so ra- raised on a ranch, I mean, I learned the value of hard work. I learned the value of like, it seemed life and death happen all the time, like those kind of things. Like, I think that was really good. Um, but I was also raised LDS. I was raised, uh, people know it as the Mormon religion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had quite a bit of fear growing up in the Mormon religion. Like, you know, you have to get to heaven. You have to get to heaven. The Mormons don't call it that. They call it the celestial kingdom. But, you know, there was a lot of that. So there was a lot of fear already instilled in me. And I'm pretty sure that's that's pretty common in most high demand religions. Yeah. A lot of pressure. Yeah, it was a lot of pressure. And so I just kind of did what I was supposed to do. Um, And so I never really had too big of goals or too big of ideas. Mm. I got married at the age of 20. Well, met him at 19, married at the age of 20, pregnant at 20, had a baby at 21, all of that. And it, now that I look back on it, I'm 44 years old now, but when I look back on it, I realized that was all fear-based. Yeah. I didn't know that then. Ooh. Yeah. You know, but it was all like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. This was the Mm -hmm. model that was subscribed to me. This is the model I bought into because if I'm wrong, I'm going to go to hell. So I better just do this. But like inside me, which is why I love the name of your podcast, the Rebel Minded Podcast. (laughs) I had this like rebel spirit in me. Yeah. Like I was like, no, this isn't okay. But I just kept doing it anyways because I was scared of disappointing people. I was scared of not getting to heaven. I was scared of um, the labels that were put on me, you know? Mm. I mean, I was labeled all sorts of things, you know? And so I was always trying to prove people wrong. Now I forgot the, your question, but anyway, 
how have I moved through fear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to be honest, I moved through fear because I was kind of forced to. <laughs> but sometimes we are, right? Yeah. But I I say that in like <clears throat> a self-patronizing way because you know what? I wasn't forced to move through fear, Zach. Like I chose to move through it, you know? And so I did all the right things. I was a dutiful wife. I had two big kids. I was a dutiful um, wife to a man in the army who not only was in the army, but was a officer in the Ranger Battalion. He was an officer in the Special Forces Group as a commander. Like he was a big deal or he still is a big deal. Um, And he was always my identity. And so my fear was if I wasn't with him, I had no identity. Wow. Okay. I mean, it was, it was, it took me a long time to shake that. So then when we got divorced, gosh, for two or three years after our divorce, my biggest fear was I was a failure. Mm. Was like, like you failed as a wife, I guess. Yeah. I failed as a wife. I failed as a mother because I didn't give my children the security of a nuclear family. Uh I failed as a Mormon, you know, I failed as all those things, Mm -hmm. you know? So when shit hit the fan and I was forced to either like sink or swim, I chose to swim, you know? Yeah. I guess there's the choice, right? Like you're, you're kind of forced into into an experience, but you still have to decide on which direction you're going to go. Yeah. And that can be super hard. Yeah. And I think like, so like to answer your question, how do you like, how did I move through fear or how have I used fear or or how did, but how did I work with it? For me, and I know this is like kind of a hot topic and people don't like this word, but it was like, I chose not to be a victim. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of freedom and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if you're a victim, that means you didn't have any responsibility. Mm -hmm. Right. So like if you're a kid in the backseat of a car Mm -hmm. and your parents are driving crazy, the kid in the backseat of the car, they're a victim to what their parents are doing. They have no control. They have no responsibility. Mm -hmm. Right. So I felt that way for a lot of years, for probably my whole life. Like, I don't have a control of this. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, but then when I decided to not be that little kid and become a grown up mm-hmm. and take responsibility for my actions and take responsibility for my behaviors, uh, there was so much more freedom in that. Mm-hmm. No, it seems like and, and you know, go ahead and, and uh, debate on this with me if, if you need to. But sure. it seems like if there's something missing from our childhood that stays attached to us into our, you know, into our adulthood, we kind of continue to act this out, you know, apart from taking on the responsibilities, the responsibilities, quote unquote, responsibilities of being an adult, you know, paying your bills, having a job, you know, taking care of your family, you know, but you can still be childlike, I guess, if you have a victim mentality, if you're not taking responsibility for your emotions, if you're not taking responsibility for- you know, I mean, I, I paid the bills matters. when I was married, you know, I was in charge yeah. of the checkbook. I was in charge of that. So they don't mean that. Mm-hmm. I mean, responsibility for like where I'm at today is a yeah. direct reflection of my choices. I mean, yesterday yeah. and a year ago and five years ago and 10 years ago, that mm-hmm. kind of responsibility is what I'm talking about. Yeah, no. And, and, and I totally agree. I, I think it's just <clears throat> people get t- caught up in this victim mentality because, you know, they're miserable and they, they say that there's no, there's no way out. There's nothing they can do. And this is, you know, this is what I have to accept as an adult when really we ultimately have a bunch of choices. It's just 
how hard is that choice? And are you going to take care of it? Are you going to follow it? Because what's the point of staying miserable, I guess, you know, No, it's super hard, but there's a lot of comfort in misery. Yeah, there totally is. (laughs) You know, there's a reason there's that saying that like misery loves comfort, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, why does that saying even exist? Because it's Mm -hmm. true. It is very comfortable. Uh, you know, like if you're the kid in the back seat and your parents driving fast and you're scared, well, it's not your fault, right? Mm-hmm. But what if I put myself in the driver's seat for once in my life and I'm mm-hmm. the one driving fast and I'm the one whatever doing like then like, okay, so playing the victim and saying, oh, I got divorced and I, this happened to me and I was an yeah. army wife and I had to stay home and I had to do all these things. There is zero freedom in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and zero identity too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, because my identity was yeah. trying to be a good Mormon girl, even though everyone knew I wasn't <laughs> lying my face off to the uh, right authorities to make sure I could still get married in the temple and do all these things. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Cat. a whole thing. I know. I know. <laughs> like I said, I've been in rum my whole life. So like I tried to fit myself into this box. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, oh, I have to, like, I had to do this to please my parents, to please everyone around me, to please my new husband, to please whatever. And that's not my ex-husband's fault or my parents' fault, you know. But at the time, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Well, and you put yourself in that position, really, right? Like, when we try to fit inside this box of of what we think is supposed to be done, you know, we'll almost do anything to, to fit into that box to make sure that. Yeah whatever idea we have about life or what it's supposed to be is legitimate, you know, and maybe not say anything about all the things that are absolutely flawed about us. Yeah. And so then like after the divorce, it was like that sink or swim moment. And then I realized it's like, Oh, it's children who blame people for their problems. Yes. Yes. Cause they're in the backseat and they can't control the driver. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But who wants to be a kid their whole life? I mean, I guess some people do. Yeah. But, but once you become what's your, once you're old enough to become the driver, you can't carry on that same mentality. Correct. Well, a lot of people try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and I think that's, I mean, I think I that's know what I we're trying did. to get at is like, we're saying that's the problem. You know, yeah. I, um, I, I think that there was more rebelliousness in my, in my heart throughout my twenties than, than I would have liked to admit because I had this, this sinking, like black hole kind of pressure in my chest, like all the way through my twenties, even even from my teenage years, my mom always said I was an old soul. And, but what I was trying to do was I was trying to fit a mold of whatever got me accepted. Yeah. My son has uh, shared those sort of the same feelings with me. I have a 20 year old son now. And he's, he said he felt that way at like 13, 14. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it can get a little carried away because of whatever our environment's like, you know, what causes you to think that way, but whatever it is. And, you know, that's what, that's the idea that I like to give on the podcast is whatever your, your, your heart and soul are telling you, if you have, if you have good intention and you have passion about something, then is there really anything externally that should say otherwise? Is it fair to suppress all of who you are or what you desire just because, you know, the world is telling you that it's not good enough or that it's not right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess here would be the question to you, Kat, is for all those things that you, you thought you failed at, right? Mm-hmm. How, how did you, how did you start to 
process those? And what do you think of yourself now that you've gotten out of those situations? Well, I don't even know how this happened, but I guess this is the fighter spirit in me or whatever. I I have a couple of things to say. Uh, One thing is like, everything's an opportunity, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, How did I get there? One, I got there through a little bit of anger. Two, I got there with a little bit of vanity. <laughs> okay. And these, these are not, these are not typical life coach, whatever, but this is just the truth. And these anger and vanity is not going to carry you forever, but it carries no, me not. for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? And so how did I get through that? Was that like, I was angry because my ex-husband thought I was just going to like jump ship and like take off and um, whatever. And I was like, you know what? motherfucker no i'm not i'm gonna stay here i'm gonna prove you wrong (laughs) it was a a little bit of that right yeah and and then a little bit of vanity it's like you know what i'm gonna look better i'm gonna do this better i'm gonna do all this better without you i don't need you Mm -hmm. you know because i met him when i was 19 you know so all i knew was him all i knew was him as my motivation Mm -hmm. so i used those qualities of anger and vanity Mm -hmm. to help get me out of that now, nowadays, as we know, those are fleeting feelings and they're, mm-hmm. they're not great. You can't build on them forever. But now I look at them as like, I used it when I needed it. And now mm-hmm. I look at it as more as like, I know self-love and blah, blah, blah. That's like trite. I get mm-hmm. it. Self-love. But that's really what it's about. You know, like when I'm depressed and I don't want to brush my teeth at night because I'm so depressed, that little bit of vanity helps, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Like who wants a bunch of cavities? Who wants a bunch of brown teeth? Yeah, right. I don't, <laughs> um, you know, so those qualities do come in handy. I will say. No, now, yeah, totally. So that's extrinsic. I understand. But like, I use a lot of intrinsic now. Like, <laughs> like who do I want to be? Like, what kind of legacy do I want to pass on to my children? Mm-hmm. Like, do they just want to see a single mom who's like struggling and like barely making it and like doesn't look great and like, just like miserable. No, that doesn't do mm-hmm. any service to my children. Yeah. You know? No, I, it, it's something that I came across in, in one of my favorite books. And it's probably, it's probably exactly because this particular thing that made it one of my favorite books was I, I myself suppressed anger because that's what my stepdad and that's my, and my real dad were, were they were anger, they were aggression, they were intimidation. And so at some point I closed that part of me off. I said, oh. anger is a bad thing. I, I don't want to be attached to it. And I was in a way, I was almost proud of myself because yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm doing what most men can't, you know? And then I realized that oh. anger is just another emotion and suppressing anger also can, can fuel, like you were saying into something that's unhealthy. You know, there is such thing as a healthy anger. If you can detach it from aggression and intimidation and stuff, if it's right. not pointed at somebody, you right. know, if it's not blaming somebody, then anger is still a good emotion. And I agree with you. There's times where I've had to use my anger to, to believe in myself almost and be like, you know what? Well, that's what uh, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even your vanity, I, I wonder if that is, is you tell me, but you know, uh, maybe more of a, a belief or, a or a courage or, um, you know, confidence about what you're capable of and what the fuck you can do on your own. Yes, that's exactly it. So like, okay, so finally, uh, I was not finally, but I was at a point in my life where I didn't have my kids all the time. I had them half the time. Um, I had a 
I, you know how some people like marry well. I divorced very unwell. <laughs> like I didn't have a great <laughs> divorce. Like I got. I mean, some people could say I got screwed. I got whatever. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't do well in my divorce. So I had mm-hmm. zero child support and zero spouse support. Mm-hmm. There's some bad choices I made. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it was. I had my children, mm-hmm. but I just didn't. It, it, it doesn't matter. But the point is, so. I use that vanity or that anger to be like, you know what? I can make my own living. I can stand on my own two feet. And to mm-hmm. be honest, so when I was 19 and 20, when I got married and then I had the kids and then I was an army officer's wife and then I was this ranger's wife and I was a special forces wife. It was all about him. I didn't have an identity. It was all, I mean, I had, you know what I'm saying? But like, yeah. it was all about him and my kids. Then Your identity sudden, is attached to his. Yeah. I didn't have yeah. children half the time anymore. And I had no husband and I wasn't a wife anymore. And so I was like, yeah. who am I? Well, then I just started to do bodybuilding. And mm-hmm. some people will say that's a, they can say what they want about it. But for me, it proved a lot of things to me. Mm-hmm. So it proved that when I do have discipline in my life, because I thought I wasn't disciplined. I just thought I was just floating by or just like a feather in the wind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know I had, like all this resilience and courage and anyone that's in a bodybuilding show, no, it takes like four to six months to get ready for a show. If not a year or more to get ready for one. Mm-hmm. I had no idea I even possessed that, you know? And so that was like a big deal for me, you know, to realize, Oh, I can do these things. I can do really, really hard things. You know, mm-hmm. do you so think I that used- was like your first, uh, your first action that really helped fuel you in the right direction that you want like, to where you're at now? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a a competitor anymore or I'm in the shows Mm -hmm. anymore. I work out just because I like the way it makes me feel and the way it makes me look, but I'm not interested in going on stage anymore, but it was a very important year or two for me. Mm -hmm. Very important because I would look at these girls that got on stage and did those things. And I'd be like, well, I could never do that. It was just a message I told myself. Yeah. But then when I was miserable and broke and lonely and sad. And I just said, you know what? Well, someone gave me the idea at the gym, like, Hey, you know, you should probably do that. And I was Mm -hmm. like, me, me. And then I just kind of went with it, you know? So like for, okay. So like part of, I think going through life and navigating life is like knowing what you're bad at. Right. Yeah. So I'm really bad at sometimes self-motivation. I'm really Mm -hmm. good at like the outside. So like I, paid a bunch of money to like my entrance fees for the bodybuilding shows. I bought this bikini that was like three inches big for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> too much money. Oh, yeah, like, totally. like for not the three inches it is. So once I plunked down the money, then I was like, oh, now I'm in. And then once I told everyone I was going to do it, then now I was in. So I like, I sometimes need those external forces working on me. So I do well with that, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, when I did it, I mean, it, it was the most beautiful thing. And the first, the first show I did, I was horrible. Like I did really bad. <laughs> and, but, you know, I'll never forget. I was in Seattle and I picked like the biggest show in the, the West coast to yeah. do my first show. Yeah. And, um, I didn't place, I didn't, you know, I looked horrible. I didn't pose well. It doesn't matter, but my son sent me a message and I'll never forget it. Zach, he sent me a message. He said, he was just like, mom, I'm proud to call you my mom. And it was like, all right, that's worth it. You know? 
And the second show I placed and, and the, you know, and then I got some trophies after that, but yeah. I had a disastrous first show. <laughs> you almost have to, though. I mean, yeah, I know, I know. if you go into into something like that with an expectation that you're going to. Oh, no, dominate, I thought I was going to win. I thought I was. Gonna yes. Win. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still a positive mindset, but, you know, it sets you straight and humbles you and be like, oh, this is this is oh, legit. Oh, like, this, this is, is tough. This is bigger than I thought. Yeah. But, but that text from my son was just like he saw how much hard work and I'll never yeah. forget I'm proud to call you my mom and I just yeah. was like okay it was worth it then it was worth yeah. it to look an idiot in front of hundreds of people you know because he could say that to me mm-hmm. you know well, and that's where that resilience started building up though you know yeah well and I, you know you can't discredit all the work that you got to to get there right you know and we can detour here for a second because I think this is majorly important at least for uh maybe perspective is that uh, a lot of people from the outside looking in think that bodybuilding is just vanity? Uh, yeah, you know, yes. and and, and yeah, it's I, very, I used to think that as well. Yeah, um, and I can see where the sport can be very selfish. It does take a lot of time. It does take, uh, you know, the pros, you know, the Olympians or whatever. Like that's their life. That's legitimately their life. But when you come down to the people that that do this as a hobby and they're doing it fun, it's it's like, it's not as much vanity as it is, it is like this project and, you know, this discipline and there's actually a hormonal change that at least women go through once they get to that sort of lean that is super effective and your, your, your carbohydrates are super low and your energy is low. You feel exhausted a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. I think people don't understand that it's more than just this aesthetic. And it's, it's not about vanity. No. Yeah. I mean, not when you get to that, like I couldn't poop for two weeks because I <laughs> see there's these things that nobody knows. <laughs> I broke out in acne all over my face. because yeah. Hormones are fucked. Like, yeah. you know? but like most people quit. Right. And most people enter a bodybuilding show. I've seen a lot quit of people quit. And, and that's not to disparage them. Yeah. But like for me at that moment in that time, Back in 2015, mm-hmm. I did it for me. Yeah. Just to prove that because I had told a narrative to myself my whole life. Oh, I never mm-hmm. finished anything. I didn't Ooh. finish college. I didn't finish yeah. piano lessons. I didn't finish like all these things. So I was a quitter in my head. So mm-hmm. I had to use actions to then remove the old tapes out of my head that I was a quitter. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and body a bodybuilding a couple of bodybuilding shows did that for me. You know, yeah. Well, and and it sounds like it's it's set you up for other things. Just so everybody knows, cat looks amazing all the time. Anyways, uh, there's there's a difference between like bodybuilder like on oh, stage. It's lean, di- yeah, disgusting. Obviously. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's no, no one looks good in person if you get on stage. And I don't even think you can survive like that. That's that's super no. low body fat. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. Um, but so. How do you identify now then? You know, you spent what, at least a decade ish, you know, um, kind of identifying with your husband, right? Well, so, I was married 16 years. 16 years. I, well, I remember I got married when I was 20. Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, my math super sucks. That's no, okay. No, no, no. It's okay. No one even, at yeah, least a decade. No yeah. 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 So, yeah. so, I, I mean, I guess like, how do you identify now? I mean, you're so many different things now. It's, it's super yeah. impressive. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I mean, thank you. it's that's, um, that's how I see cat. I don't, I don't know cat from 15 years ago. No. Uh, okay. 
I see myself now as a as accurate. I don't okay. see myself yeah. as oh well shoot I don't know okay so I do struggle with imposter syndrome and all that but at the end of the day I see myself like yes this is who I am mm-hmm. um 10 years ago 15 years ago or whatever I got married I didn't quite know who I was so I I would just pretend to be things yeah um, yeah yeah but but I feel like in full alignment right now you know mm-hmm. Um, even when I do feel that imposter syndrome sneaking up, or even when I get the seasonal affective disorder, I still feel okay about myself because I'm living a life that's true to myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to fit into anyone else's, um, social construct or box or whatever, you know? Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I would say I feel truthful. That's how I feel today. Do you feel like that there was a, like, what was that resistance like? What, like, how tough was that to, to actually transition? You know what I mean? Oh, those are great questions. How oh, I, tough was it to transition from feeling yeah, like, fake to Yeah, because your mind's going through all these things that it's usually conditioned to do, right? Saying, you know. Oh, these are great questions. <laughs> wow, no one's ever asked me anything like this before. How did, ask it again what, what was the difficulty of that transition? Because your, your mind is conditioned saying, Hey, this is, you know, this is too, this is too extravagant. You know, I'm not good enough for this. Um, you know, I just kept proving myself wrong. So basically, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but no, totally. Okay. So like one of my platforms is courage. Yeah. I just kept proving myself wrong. So I moved to the fear because I am stubborn enough. I do have that rebellious mindset that I'm just like, you know what? Why not me? Why, why not? Why can't I do this? All these other people have done this. Why can't I do this? And so I just, it's slowly, it's like step-by-step. It was like giving myself a new experience all the time. So like two years ago, I went through like a year where I was like, I said yes to like most everything. And I know it's really cool these days to be like, say no, protect your space, honor your boundaries, say no to things. But, you know, I was in a year where I was like, no, I'm going to say yes to things that scare me and things I don't want to do. That really helped. I think I remember you talking about that. Yeah. I'm like the anti-life coach. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's like, don't get pressured. And it's not about like someone pressuring me. It was more like, no, what else am I doing with this life, Zach? You know, I'm going to stay home all day, not do things, you know? opportunities like they don't come unless you like grab them like for instance this podcast it's like oh was I super scared to come on today absolutely but does that mean I need to you know what if you're afraid don't do it and you gotta listen to yourself and I and I get why therapists and coaches say that I get it because people are used to saying yes to things that they don't feel aligned with Mm -hmm. but if I feel in aligned with it I'm gonna say yes even if it scares the shit out of me that's how I get it no, I, 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 I totally agree because I think that we can convince ourselves to stay in our position. You know, we can, yeah. we can say boundaries. We can and we say, can use cycle you know, babble to convince ourselves to stay small. Yeah. yeah. And then we wonder why things aren't working the way that we want them to. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen that like meme that goes around Instagram? It's like all these women waiting for Mr. Right. Meanwhile, they're staying home and watching Netflix every night. Yep. And they think Mr. Right's going to knock on the door. That's not how mm-hmm. life works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
No, same. Uh, th- I'm like there's... the worst life coach ever, but that's no. Just okay. No, I'm, I'm, gonna... not, I'm not saying that for common, <laughs> but I'm just saying it's funny to me because like I thought, so, okay. For instance, I thought in order to be a good life coach, I had to hold all the space for people and I had to just listen. And I do that. Of course I do that. But after a while, I'm like, okay, like full stop. I'm just going to repeat what you just said. And then like confront them with what they just said. And they're like, oh shit, you know, that's how I operate. But that, that feels an alignment to me. Mm-hmm. For me to try to pretend to be this, like, I don't know, lovey-dovey, mm-hmm. whatever, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And it, I don't think it worked for my clients when I tried it either. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, you know, you and I know a bunch of coaches and they're, they're all so different, right? But if you're not doing authentically, you, you know, if you're not do- authentically doing it your way, then I think people will, you know, because they'll approach you and then... I think we have this crazy, almost sixth sense, like this vibe with each other. And when it doesn't feel right, you know, when you actually talk in person, then it can be very off-putting, I guess. So in your position, you're probably very confrontational and you attract the people that actually need that confrontation. And Mm, if they can't handle it, you know, they're not your client, right? Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, every client that schedules a discovery call with me doesn't book, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's, yeah. and that's okay. You know, but I don't know. I, I <laughs> guess I like to live in the solution and not the problem. Yes. Yes. Well, and I think it's very easy to get caught up um, in, in the spot just before real commitment you know, for a lot of people that they want to change. They know there's something, you know, sketchy. They, you know, they, they have a lot of pressure to try to shoot for something. And then they have that itchy, scratchy feeling inside of themselves. And then they get close and then they scare themselves away. No, they, yeah, they pull back. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, why do you think that happens? I think that happens to most people. I know it's happened to me many times. (sighs) No, well, now you're switching around the questions, Kat. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, no, you're totally good. Yeah. Like I like the conversation, um, you know, from my own experience, which I've told people multiple times is there was, there was a many, probably thousands of times throughout my twenties, you know, throughout that decade where I would get an idea because I was, you know, my heart hurt and get an idea about what I wanted to try to do. And then I'd scare away from it. I turned down art school three times. Um, Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I tried a, a lot more stuff than I realized I tried, but because they were very small and significant, I didn't, I didn't pick up on them, but totally. looking back, like I had to realize that these were attempts. It just took a certain particular situation. For me, it was a relationship. I oh, had, right, yeah. I had gained all the things that I thought I was supposed to have. And she was the last thing on the list. And inside that relationship, I realized how close I was to being committed to something that I wasn't so sure about, you know, getting married, mm. having kids because mm. I had everything else. I had my cars, I had my house, you know, mm. I had the, the job, even though I absolutely mm. hated the job. Well, um, yeah. Right. But you had the um, money in the bank account, so, but I had the money yeah. in the bank account yeah. and I was comfortable until I wasn't because once we, once we split up, I kind of had that same situation that you did. I didn't, I didn't have any idea who I was anymore. I was like, okay, yeah. well, I still have all my things, but without her, what am I even doing? Right. What is the fucking point? And it was, it was just a, I couldn't deflect anymore. 
I couldn't handle it. My, my heart just couldn't handle it. And I've talked to people about this before. Like, what is the big catalyst? Does everyone have to go through this major catalyst or is it something that, you know, does everybody have to hit that particular darkness in order to change? You know what I mean? Not everyone. everyone Maybe not everyone, you know, not everyone has to, but for people like me, yes. (laughs) Sometimes I do, you know, I mean, the only reason I became a life coach is because of a huge breakup. Mm-hmm. Although I, I said I was going to become one while we were still dating. Really? But I never pulled the trigger until yeah. we broke up. You well, know? Do you know why that was? What, do you know why you kept avoiding it? Oh, 100% because I just wanted to invest in him. Man, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to be like the best companion for him. I just wanted to be his everything. I wanted to be the one that won over the ineligible bachelor that finally got the man to commit. I wanted to be that girl, you know, you know, he was four years old. He was never married, never engaged, no kids. You know, he had a very nice job, very lucrative, very Mm -hmm. handsome. I mean, super, like probably the most handsome man I ever dated. He had all of it. And I was like, I'm the one that landed him. What up, ladies? <laughs> hey, you all tried, but I, I got him. I wanted to be that that bitch, you know. Yeah. And then he, we broke up <laughs> because, she- yeah, because I ignored all the red flags, and uh, my son got sick, and he was Ooh. like, "I can't, I can't be a part of this relationship anymore," because he's like, "Your son triggers me," and I was like, "Huh?" And so ultimately, I had to end things with him because the love for my son was bigger than that. Thank goodness. But, um, yeah, it broke my heart. And yeah. I, again, I used a little bit of that anger and vanity afterwards. And I was like, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. You're such a fireball. <laughs> I know. I know it's horrible, but I mean, it's not horrible. I like it's like, it's one of my yeah. best qualities. It really is. Well, you always come off authentic to me, you know, oh, thank you. there's, there's a, there's a, there's a point where you uh, are, you won't let anybody cross your boundaries and you have this abrasion, but it's, it's on purpose and it's, it's genuine because you don't want anybody fucking with what you've built, you know? Yeah. And I I think that that's a point that everybody should have is you're not supposed to just be accommodating to everybody that it doesn't get you anywhere. If if you're a people pleaser, I was the Mr. Nice guy. There's a book out there called Mr. Nice guy. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and that's who I was. And the crazy part that I think a lot of people don't understand, especially the men that are Mr. Nice guys is women don't like it. They won't respect it. Yeah, no, that's very true. And I didn't, I didn't realize that either because it's very, it's very submissive. It's very, like I said, accommodating it's, it's too pleasing and you have no conflict to create foundation. Yeah. Well, it's not a partnership. Yeah. Yeah. No. And this is what I liked about the guy. He wasn't a Mr. Nice guy. He pushed my buttons. He challenged Mm -hmm. me and I thought it was great. And then as soon as a big conflict arise, like my son got very, very sick Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I was crying a lot and he was like, well, where's my strong, independent Catherine? Where'd she go? I was like, well, I'm still here. I'm just going through something. Mm -hmm. And then what I've, ultimately come to realize was he was a man that couldn't feel his own feelings. So therefore he couldn't watch someone go through their feelings. Yeah. 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 You know, that took me like a year and a half to figure out though, after we broke up. Isn't it ridiculous how long it takes to figure these things out? 
I don't know if it's ridiculous or if it's, I'm just grateful. I figured it out. <laughs> I, I mean, not ridiculous as in like, it's a bad thing. It's like, I, I thought that I was supposed to be over somebody in three months. There's that social idea of, Hey, oh. this is, if you should be a over this in three months, you should be able to do this. And they're so like, much time. yeah, like, if you dated for six months, you should be over in the less than half the time minus two plus one or something <laughs> like, right. There's like a rule. I've heard that. I've is heard the that. formula. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not over them. So then I got, I went, got my ass to therapy. Um, and you know, this is just a little less than two years ago, but my therapist finally was like screaming at me. Like he had to save his life. He got out, save his life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, cause he couldn't understand all of it. So now I have more Ah. sympathy empathy for him, but yeah, I like wrecked me. I mean, he was my first love and my really only true love or whatever love I had since divorce, Mm -hmm. but I, am not the kind of girl that falls in love very easily, but like, anyways, but yet again, all experiences are opportunities, you know? So my divorce, which I thought was the biggest failure of my life, I used it as opportunity for growth and I would have never become an entrepreneur I hadn't had mm-hmm. a divorce, I would have never mm-hmm. done any of that. And then after the one big breakup, the the guy I fell in love with, um, I'd have never become a life coach. If it wasn't for that, mm-hmm. you know. Well, yeah, no, I I think that um, the past is meant for reflection. It's not for it's not for reliving, and that's I, that's a, a, a yeah. kind of an on fence thing that a lot of people may not see because when you relive it, you stay the same person. You know, that reflection is for the lesson. There's so many lessons. There's always a silver lining. It doesn't matter what you went through and you found yours, you know, you wouldn't have become this or you wouldn't have done this if it hadn't been for this, Yeah. you know, and most people could look at a 16 year uh, relationship and be like, oh my God, I spent so much time. I wasted so much time. It failed. You know, it didn't go the way that I I wanted. I mean, listen, I felt like a failure for four or five years after Mm -hmm. my divorce. Yeah, it's rough too. It was really rough. Well, I mean, I had people like my mother saying, well, your children come from a broken home now and they're going to have all these problems. You know, I mean, the, I'm this, this, that was just the reality of my yeah. life, you know? Yeah. And then you're just like, you just want to tell her to shut the fuck up. But like, <laughs> you know, your moms can't say that, but it's like, oh, you can. <laughs> no, I, I eventually learned how. <laughs> but, yeah, it may be more subtle. She doesn't say more those subtle. things anymore. No, I basically just said, don't say that to me anymore. Like mm-hmm. I learned, I learned boundaries. I didn't have good boundaries before my divorce. Mm-hmm. I got better boundaries after my divorce and I got even better boundaries after my big breakup. Mm-hmm. I finally learned like how to tell people how to treat me or show them how to treat me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, tell me what you think about this. I think that there's a transition or a, a mind change when you decide to purposely be abrasive so that you can make a point so that you can have that boundary. Does that make sense? So for example, currently going through something with my own dad, with my own father, you know, we've always had a long distance relationship. It's been kind of hard. He's only been allowed so much experience with me and I'm his first child. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we had conversations about little familiar with that, with with your, whatever, with your dad, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and go on. So, you know, we have different ideas. I've grown up mostly without him, you know, and so I didn't have 
the, the version of dad that, that probably could have challenged me, that probably could have, uh, shown me direction, you know, all this stuff. So I was kind of not helping myself, you know, I didn't find anybody else, but i also didn't know that I needed the father figure, you know? Oh, you mean you didn't find another male role model? Yeah. 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 Um, there wasn't anybody directly there for me. And that was part of my problem was I was waiting for the world to give me what I needed. Right. Oh, but that never, that's never going to happen. It never fucking works. Yeah. Right. It never works. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Just never. so everybody knows it doesn't work. Stop <laughs> expecting the world to give you something because it doesn't owe you shit. No, it, it like, really well, I kept thinking a man was going to save me. It never yeah, turned right? up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I fell so hard in love with that uh, guy. Because yeah. I was like, oh, this is my savior. He finally came. Uh, this is why I got divorced so I could get this savior. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's rough. Yeah. That is rough. But I mean, maybe when the real raw answer comes, you know, and maybe you, but you realize the story about your dad. What were you saying? Oh, okay. Um, so, so long story short, like I didn't have him to, to look up to. Um, I mean, he's always there. He always tried as a dad, but the distance made, made a big thing. And my dad was always, he's always been a preacher. So it's always been like this dictator kind of situation. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of had held this thing in my head from my late twenties of like, for some reason, most boys need to have some sort of toe to toe with their dad in order for their dad to respect their position. Right. And him and I had a, had, well, I mean, it's very Shakespearean of you, Zach. (sighs) I mean, (laughs) Shakespeare 2.0. Yeah. I I mean, you know, this goes way back thousands of years. Uh, probably it does. Um, I like to be dramatic. I know I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Don't judge me. I'm not. Um, I'm not judging. The reason it's existed for thousands of years is because it's a a real thing. I think so. And, you know, I just didn't know how, at at what angle and what truth that really was. But him and I had a conversation this last year, which gave me a lot of anxiety. Um, I have a, I have this issue with confronting men because like, I've always been, you know, told, you know, um, see, I don't mind uh, confronting men. I have a hard time confronting women. Yeah. Right. And that comes yeah. from somewhere. No, I get it. No, I know where right? it comes from. Yeah. So I, I so it. I had this conversation with my dad and said, Hey, this is what I believe. And this is what I need you to understand. And I was like, okay, that conversation went well. I feel better. Like I feel, I feel more myself. I feel like he understands who I am. And then a couple months ago, he sent me this text and this video saying, Hey, you know, I hope that you're mad at me because I want you to see this. And this is what I'm worried about. It, it was based around religion. And um, oh, this is what shit. I'm worried about. And this yeah. is what I want you to think about. And I was like, he didn't fucking hear me at all. Right. He didn't hear me at all. And so at right. this point, he still doesn't see me as his equal, in my opinion. And that's what I think I need from him is to for him to understand that I am a 33 year old man. And I've got a lot of this stuff that I'm figuring out on my own. And I need him to see me as another human, not not his follower, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I have a lot to you know say I mean? about that. Let's hear it. Yeah, <laughs> because I would love to hear your position on, you know, how how that relates to you and your story. Because you said you kind of have the same issue with women, right? Yeah, that's I have it with my mother. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, she's always going to see me as someone in high school. 
Mm. I mean, I can go on and on about, I mean, even just a couple of weeks ago, she was like, oh, well, you always do this and this. And I go, from what experience are you based on that? She was like, remember when you were a junior in high school and you did this? And I was like, yeah, I'm 44 years old. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know, 30 years ago or something. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I can relate to that and how painful it is. And I can relate to how much you just want, whether it's my mother or your father, to see you as someone who you you're not, you're not that person anymore. You're this person. Like you mm-hmm. said, you're 33 years equal. Like it's very painful when they can't see you for that. Mm-hmm. So I just want to let you know, I do under, I, I can relate to that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Super painful. Um, I didn't even realize how painful it was until like two weeks ago that it's still very painful for me. So it's yeah. Pretty recent. Yes. Yes. I mean, the experience happened a couple, like four or five weeks ago, but then two weeks ago, I finally was like, wow, this really did hit. Mm-hmm. Like it's still landing with me. Mm-hmm. Or like it still hurts. Um, but you know what? She's not going to change. And I can throw a temper tantrum on the floor and hit my fists and fly around and throw things. And it still won't change anything. Yeah. You yeah. know? And so the only thing that for me that matters is how the mirror looks. When I hold a mirror five inches away from my face, mm-hmm. do I feel like a woman? you know, like a full fledged woman. And can mm. I look at that mirror and say, yes, I do. Yeah. Most of the time I can, sometimes I can't, I mean, but Majority I can't, I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't depend on my mom to look at me five inches from my face and say, Hey, I'm proud of you and the woman you become. Mm-hmm. It's never you know, going to happen. It's that, it's that little subtle thing in there that makes you, it, it, it's kind of like a, like a needle in you because it's like, I'm proud of you, but. Oh, oh yeah. hundred percent. Right? <laughs> but again, that's that kid in the back seat. You're letting mm-hmm. your dad drive the car. Yeah. And so we come roundabout to back to that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you want your dad to see you as a full fledged man at 33. Well, what happens if he never does? Then what? That's uh, yeah. It's out of my control. It's super frustrating. It's super oh, frustrating. And it's the most painful experience you may ever have in your life. I don't know. Well, I mean, I had to create distance. So if, uh, yes, if it's out of my control, mother. you know, if it's out of my control, if he wants to have a conversation about it, then we can continue to have a conversation. And he, but if there's no progress, then that's my boundary. Absolutely. That, you know yeah, what I mean? I was going to say that. Like you can have it. A five minute conversation, but then a 10 minute conversation may tip you over the edge. And, you know, mm-hmm. like you have to kind of know when it's like, okay, yeah. hey, dad, I love you. I got to go. Bye. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 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 It's so painful when the people that we love the most won't give us that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, this is a question is it their responsibility to give us our identities and our self esteem? <sighs> I don't know. I I'm like, a parent, so I always wonder, you know? Yeah, see, that's the perspective that I don't have with you. I mean, I have Thor, but um, yeah. that doesn't really count as a dog dad. Well, um, but that's a perspective that I don't have. So, have, so there's, there's, there's a, a, a position that I try not to cross. If I don't have the experience, even though I may have this intelligence or this knowledge, it doesn't necessarily right. mean that I can see it from that point of view. So right. me lacking being a parent... Um, means that I, I at least want to keep it up in the air and I don't want it to be decisive for somebody else because, you know, you kind of have both views. You have 
your parent and then you are a parent, you know, so, so where is that? Yeah. Um, I guess the closest position I have on that is, you know, my mom is very much different from my father and, and what she sees in me and what she allows me to be. Um, but that still doesn't come from the position of being a parent, you know, and and how do you handle that? I, I think ultimately I have to relate back to what's out of my control. Would I love to have, you know, him be proud of me and him support me in everything that I do and believe in my own, my own beliefs or my own decisions, you know, or my own, uh, uh, aspirations. But if he never gives that to me, I can't let it control the pieces of my heart that are cracked because of it. You know, it, it's, it's my position to, you know, kind of melt those back together. changed so much. It, yeah, it definitely has. Yeah. I mean, nowadays we expect the world from our parents. Mm-hmm. hundred years ago, or even less than hundred years ago, our parent, our parents' responsibility wasn't to give us self-esteem. It was mm-hmm. to give us tools. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, so it's interesting how much, I mean, same with, uh, you know, marriages or romantic relationships. We expect all these things from our partner. And it's like, mm-hmm. we've evolved over how many years? We've never had to do this before. And all of a sudden we have to do it now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to cut your dad any slack, but it oh, kinda, no. it, it kind of helps remove some of that um, personalized pain. Mm-hmm. It's still painful, but it's like, well, how is he supposed to know how to do that? Mm-hmm. Unless you say like, unless you say anything about it. And if you mm-hmm. say something about it and it, there's no growth from his end or he doesn't understand it, you can't control that. Yeah. But I do. I, yeah. But I hear what you're saying. I do think it is, it is important to find mentors in your life. It is important mm-hmm. for men to establish close relationships with other men. Um, recently, I mean, I don't want to carry on too much, <laughs> too much about, <laughs> Oh my God. There's like, let me grab a box of Kleenex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but recently um, I figured out that I do rely on myself a lot, but there's things that I can't, I can't answer without some sort of like, you don't, you can't do what you don't know. Right. So you find people that help you clear that up, that, that understand that. And even though I don't think this is the healthiest thing I have found influencers i guess that speak to me you know that 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 fortify my mind that, uh, yeah that i i would me. caution you to judge that against healthy or unhealthy i think it's what i get i think it's what i've got you know if my father yeah, but you're is, like this but you just said this may not be the healthiest thing yeah and it's like well maybe it is healthy yeah well i mean more of like um there could be something more efficient like if it was somebody that was actually closer to me you know, maybe we can take the the healthy, unhealthy off of it and just make it seem like, you know, there's, there's only so much Jordan Peterson and Jocko Willink and these guys can do. Well, for me. totally, you totally. Know? I know. I, um, I totally hear what you're saying. Because I don't get to directly interact with them, you know? So of course you yearn, of course you yearn for more. We exactly. all do. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think but you get what you can get. It's like mm-hmm. the kindergarten saying, my kids are in kindergarten. When was the saying? It was like, you get what you get, you don't get upset. It's like, okay. You That's know? a good one. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Well. It is you know, what it is. I mean, you can wail and kick against the pricks mm-hmm. and wish things were different. And heavens no, I wish things were different with my mother and I. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I have, I've had it. I mean, this is fuck. I'll just say it. My mom beat the shit out of us when we were kids, you know, she did a lot of damage. She did a mm-hmm. lot of things. She's went, but she has grown a lot, but she has hit her capacity. You know, she's not going to get above that. Whatever. After fourth grade, she stopped. Cause I wailed her over the head with something when she was kicking the shit out of my sister. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe I'm sharing this. Um, but anyway, who cares? Anyway, the point is it stopped mm-hmm. and I admire her for that. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot. But Tell me, she's never go going to be what I wish she could be. Yeah. But who does that yes. hurt? That hurts me, not her. Mm-hmm. She's grown immensely. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that there's this uh, position that I hope everybody realizes you know, and it definitely comes in with that, that rebel men, like rebel minded mindset. And this idea of questioning everything that you're fucking going through and everything that's going through your head, because I can blame my dad over and over and over, Like he's, he's responsible for a lot of trauma that I'm, you know, and conditioning I may have hundred percent. He is. Yeah. But I was angry for a long time, but it didn't help me actually grow if I continue to blame him. So at some point you have to question what it is that you're blaming because that was the victim mentality and i have to say okay this happened (laughs) and it's my job to change the way that 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 affects me and the way that that affects my growth i don't know if it's your job to change the way it affects you i think it's your job to say this affects me this way and i'm going to do this because it affects me i'm going to do this and this Mm -hmm. and that even though i'm affected or because i'm affected Mm -hmm. i'm going to choose these these uh elevators of growth well, and I think we also have to realize that our parents were also humans. They didn't oh, know yeah. all the best ways. I know well, how I, my dad was raised by my grandpa. So I know why my mom did what she did. And that, yeah. that's her story to tell. I'm not going to yeah. go into that. My story yeah. to tell is she kicked the shit out of us. Yeah. I mean, like that, right? Mm-hmm. What's changed? And she mm-hmm. did the best she could. And I can. Which may not have changed if you hadn't acted in that situation. Perhaps. I don't know. We'll never know. <laughs> never know. <laughs> but, but. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, everything's a catalyst, right? I mean, I agree. And so yeah. I could choose to stay pissed at her, but like, literally, how am I going to? So if my, if my job in life is to be a life coach, because I do feel like that's my job or not job, my life calling, my purpose, my passion. If that's my purpose and passion, how does staying pissed and angry at my mom help other people? Exactly. Yeah. What is it doing for your future and your experiences in front of you? How does that help my children? Mm-hmm. If I stay pissed at my mom, I'm going to beat the shit out of my kids. Mm-hmm. Right? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean. I fi- no, right? I, I, I think so. Um, I fight myself every day try- trying to make sure. I mean, I don't know if this is a good thing Just to keep in my- mind or not. But <laughs> I tell myself every day that I will do everything I can to not be like my father. Because I know how you know hard what? it was. You know, um, actually, I just listened to a podcast today and I hate to say it, Brene Brown, but um, she was in her eyes. I, I have a love hate relationship with her. Okay, fair enough. But um, she was interviewing Dr. Edith Eager, uh, a Holocaust survivor. She's 92 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote a book called Choice and then a book called It Is Matter. But she talked about when we live our lives in spite of other people, there is no freedom. Wow. Yeah. I do not want to be like them. Those aren't actually real choices. Mm -hmm. 
those are more like that's revenge Mm -hmm. there's no growth in revenge you know, um, I had a mentor for a while and one of the biggest <laughs> things she told me, cause I think this, I think this relates to so that. So funny you brought that up because I just listened to that and I was like, huh, these are the things that we need to share. Yeah. These are the things we need to question. Yeah. Um, she told me that your, your growth will be stunted if you continue to look back, if you continue to, to try to avoid being something rather than ignoring it and actually focus on what you want to be. So if you're too focused on what you don't want to be, you're basically backpedaling. You're, well, you're, and you're limiting you're slowing yourself. yourself down. Yeah. Because then yeah. if you're like, oh, well, I'm not him, then you get to the third floor. Well, at least I'm not him. I'm better than him. Well, hello. There's like the fourth floor, the fifth floor, mm. the sixth floor, you know? Yeah. 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 Like there's way more. Mm-hmm. Like, is it just good enough for me to say it and beat the shit out of my kids? No. No, probably not. No. There's a lot more I need to do in my life than that. What I'm if not, you act, what not, if you don't feed them? That's not any better. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like just because I took care of their basic, you know, hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Doesn't yeah, mean yeah. that's a, made me a good mom. And even today, mm-hmm. I mean, my daughter's almost 23. My son's 20 years old. I still have a lot to do with them. Mm-hmm. You know, you still get never, to be a mom. Uh, yeah, it never stops. That's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. But like, don't get me started. Don't get me started. But like, yeah, I mean, just because I can say that doesn't mean I'm a, a victor. Or I'm a winner. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do, I do have some questions about your coaching then, because yeah. you said that you coach a lot of women, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I coached a lot of therapists. I know you, you, you mentioned something about that too. Well, the fact is like, we're all human. We I, all I'm just somebody, as right? curious as you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, what are the types of things that you're, I mean, relating to this fear that you're, cause you probably helped them with that, right? A lot of this, this fear of getting through mm-hmm. things. Right. And it is a lot of women. Like, what is that? What is that like? Well, and there's a lot of labels on, uh, I help people discard labels. Okay. Yeah. Um, labels are given to us by our parents. They're given mm-hmm. to us by old high school friends or even, gosh, I got a label in fourth grade that I still remember, you know, like I, you know, I've been labeled all sorts of things. And so then you think, well, this is just who I am. This is just mm-hmm. the way it is. I've always been this way. So I help people remove those labels. And part of that is removing that victim mentality, right? Because there's no growth. You do have responsibility for your choices. Mm-hmm. Um, responsibility is freedom, you know, so I help women do that. And it starts with small little things, you know, it starts with like future visioning. It starts with, um, what do you want your life to look like? And if it's like, oh, I want my life to be more eco-conscious or, or what, I don't know, whatever it is. It's like, oh, okay, well then they find a job that's closer to work so they can bike to work and that helps them feel better about themselves. Mm. And a lot of it also is keeping promises to yourselves. Like, how do you get unstuck? You start keeping promises that you make to yourself. Mm-hmm. that's how because when you don't keep the promise and you make to yourself you don't trust yourself so then you stay stuck because mm-hmm. you, you there's no growth because you don't trust yourself to do anything new exciting dangerous have you found people having a hard time adhering to that too you know these these little itty bitty things yes which is yeah. why they need a coach <laughs> yeah right i mean yeah absolutely 
I mean, of course they have a hard time, which is why they have goals. They have some homework, they have whatever you want to call it. And then we talk about the next week and I don't shame people if they don't do it. I'm more just like, I get really curious, like, oh, okay. Something that you said was really important to you. You didn't follow through on. Let's talk about it. Like, why? Like what, like, I just like to get very curious and ask a lot of questions. And as you know, a good life coach hopefully doesn't give too much direction. Sometimes I can't keep my mouth shut, but, Mm -hmm. um, most of the time it's just more like, let's get curious. Like what happened? What, what, mm-hmm. were your, what was your roadblock? What got in the way? And then it usually comes down to old labels, which is why that bodybuilding show was so important to me. I had labels that I, I wasn't disciplined. I can't do things on my own. I need a man to save me. You know, mm-hmm. I can't stick to structure. I'm lazy. I didn't get a college education. I've never had a job. All of these things, right? Mm-hmm. But that bodybuilding show proved me differently. So I try to like introduce those sort of things to them. So basically one kind of set you off and you started attacking everything else that was difficult to, to maybe understand about yourself. You know what I mean? So, you know, first it's bodybuilding and then it's, you know, life coaching or, you know, whatever it is that you've found a limit on, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the things that you were saying before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, the thing that you were saying before of like, this is just the way that I am, yeah. you know, and, and you hear a lot of people say that, right? Yes. I heard my mother say that when I was a young child Yeah, and I hated her for it. <laughs> and then I found myself doing it. <laughs> <clears throat> it's crazy how those carry over, right? I swore I'd never do it. I was too smart to do it. But then I did it. (laughs) I mean, the universe is here to slap us across the face. I mean, first Mm -hmm. it gives you like a push in the shoulder and then it gives you a little push. (laughs) Then it trips you. And before you know it, it bitch slaps you across the face, you know. (laughs) No, I I mean, you're totally not wrong. You know. We, we don't have to descend to like these horrible bottoms and pits. Like we're allowed to mm-hmm. listen, listen to the whispers. And, and when people don't, when we don't listen to the whispers, we get pretty miserable because pretty soon it's not whispering anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to wait till your mental health deteriorates to a zero. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like if you start feeling uncomfortable and you, and you feel something unsettled in your life, you're allowed to address it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait till the divorce, you know? What were those whispers like to you? I know what mine were like. Oh God, that's such a great question. Oh my gosh. Okay, this is uh, really personal, but one of the whispers was I was super interested in psychology. Um, I was super interested in sexual abuse and dreams. And that was a whisper because Mm -hmm. I had... um, I had, oh God, all of a sudden I can't remember the word because now I'm getting personal. I lose my words. Um, my memories had gone. I was sexually molested as a child, but I didn't know. I'd repressed, repressed. That's the word I'm yes. looking for. I repressed yeah. memories, but I was very curious about sexual abuse. It's a strange thing to be interested in, isn't it? Yeah. If, if it hadn't happened to you, but I was like, well, I haven't been, but I was curious and learning about it. Oh. I even, um, I found myself on a rape crisis team that I volunteered for. I had a pager in the middle of the night. I get paged. 
I'd go to the hospital and be an advocate between um, these women who were there. I guess there's men that are there as well, but I, well, my experiences with women being an advocate between them and the doctors and their families. Like I did all these things, but it never happened to me. Right. Until I was 26 years old or 27. Then I, I, some memories came back. So those were some whispers, like those little tuggings, those little like things that you can't stop thinking about. Uh Those are your whispers. Yeah. That's, that's a really good way to put it. I think, um, Mine doesn't sound as intense as yours now. No, no, no. I know. <laughs> I didn't mean to, you know, outshine. No, but you. no, I'm but, kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's it's okay. When I smile, like the world just lights up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yes, it does. No, it's it, it's this. For me, it was, um, it was this whisper saying. The weird thing was, it it didn't have a whole lot of context to it. It didn't have a direct answer to what it was supposed to be my whisper was like what the fuck are you doing why are you suffering and that was the most of it it was I it also was just had that was questioning well. like yes. why why this why this why this and I never had an answer for it and I just kept telling myself that this is what the world gave me I was convinced by the world is going to hand me who I am and so even if Again, I want to be something else yeah, yeah. But yeah if, even if I want to be something else, this is what the world gave me. So this is what I'm supposed to be. So I was actually trying to figure out, okay, what, how can I make myself the most happy in this type of work? If this is the type of work that I'm doing when it was my fault for not applying to colleges and not taking my SATs, my ACTs and all that stuff in the beginning, or I just fell into or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, especially yeah. when, yeah, I was, I was 19, 23 and 26. I think the three times that I applied, um, right. and why did I not follow through with that? because I was doubting my abilities. I hadn't drawn for a really long time. It was mostly in high school. Um, I got too carried away with my work and girls and stuff like that. And, um, and obviously this was a huge one for me. Um, it was always about the money. It was always about what I was able to afford or because, you know, nobody in my family went to college. Um, my dad was always very much, he, even to this day, like he's, he makes very little money always has, right? you know, at the point where, when I went to visit him, um, I was eight years old and I was, I was pulling wire under houses with him. Like I was working as I was spending time with him. Uh, And so I built up this idea that I wasn't valuable or worthy of anything unless I was working. uh, You know, I would, I would have, I would go out and do things, my friends, um, motorcycle riding, but I was in the back of my mind, it was always, you need to get done with this because there's work You're to do. Not, there's yeah. there's work to do. And money to be made. And money to be made. <laughs> yeah. But I've also I've also never really brought in a whole lot of money. You know? Oh, it's, that's fascinating. I know. I know. It's something that, you know, it is is uh it's a challenge for me now. It's a, it's a it's an answer that I have to find for myself to release myself from that idea that I'm not worthy, I'm not oh, valuable, I'm not capable so of making money. There's so much shame around all that too. There is. There's, um, so those whispers can be very generic maybe, or, you know, without a name almost. And I think the important thing for people is to understand that it's there. It's saying something for a reason. Yeah. If you can't get out of your head, it, it means something. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. 
whatever it is. I guess the, it the, has to mean something for me. Yeah. I mean, well, it was like, I was fascinated with childhood sexual abuse, but yeah. that was my body like calling to me, like, remember it's maybe you're ready now. Maybe you're ready now to remember. And I wasn't ready until I was in my mid to late twenties to remember, you know, how did that, but hit that you was my body prepping me to remember. Oh, uh, well, it's pretty personal, but um, it happened during a sexual experience with my ex-husband. That okay, sorry. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> you don't have to answer everything. Um, no, I know. But actually, you know what? Maybe someone will listen to it and be like, oh my God, no wonder I freaked out that one time or whatever. Yeah. It's actually a very common experience that a lot of people, their repressed memories come back during a sexual situation. You know, um, I I think it is important. And I, I, I these are the types of things that may not always be comfortable, but I really hope that somebody out there can find some sort of relativity. Yeah. You know? And actually, I don't feel uncomfortable really talking about it. I, okay, good. <laughs> I, I don't, I would have maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. But I, at my age now, I really don't give a shit anymore because it's not me. I mean, it, it's me, but it happened to me. It, mm-hmm. You know, again, I'm not in the back seat anymore. I'm driving this fucking car. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're in control. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't feel anything. I don't feel any shame about it. I know what the world tells me I'm supposed to, or that I'm supposed to not share personal stories and cast mm-hmm. pearls before swine or whatever, but you know what? Bullshit. I call bullshit on that. Yeah. And, and to me, it's, <laughs> I, I just like that you call bullshit on everything. Cause yeah. you're, you're just like, no, I'm not going to pay attention to this. No, no. Um, when, uh, yeah. A good lesson my dad taught me was, uh, you know, everyone's got a bullshit meter. They have a sniff test. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you, if it smells like bullshit, it's probably bullshit. And that, mm-hmm. but if you keep pretending it doesn't smell like bullshit, your nose stops working. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> no. Yeah, totally. Um, That's a fancy we... way of saying, listen to your intuition. Or no, it's an unfancy way of saying, listen to your intuition, but you know, well, I but think that... if your bullshit meters pegged, it's pegged for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but how, how much do people, you know, get out of touch with that? You know, there, there's the us. big question is like, do people, have you, have you become so, and I think for a while it, you, I'm still learning, I think, to listen to myself. Um, oh. but, uh, well, you're when, only 33, you're a baby, but there's that, <laughs> there's that social. All right, cat. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Well, I'll always be a baby to you, baby to you then, I guess, because yes, you got me by me. so many years. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think people can be so numbed out because, there's a difference between, you know, the actual connected human experience and then the modern, um, uh, the modern focus of Achievements. society. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. And this is the thing. It's one of the things that I try to get people to question the most is, you know what, if you want, if you want all your toys, if you want, you know, the, the success, if you want to be on a pedestal fine, but it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be superficial and you're going to be miserable inside, or you're going to build that from a position of authenticity. You can have all the yeah. things, but you better be taking care of your internal self. You, me- you better be introspective. You better be questioning the world to make sure that you don't have to have a pit inside of your chest. Right. It's like, if you want a boat, that's great. Mm-hmm. You use the boat to help bring people together, to build communities, yeah. to 
uh, give, you know, have your families have a good time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to be able to build that connectedness. Yeah. As opposed to like, there's all sorts of other reasons to have a boat, you know, but yeah, if you're getting a boat to fill your a hole up in your heart, obviously that's not going to mm-hmm. work. But if you're building a boat to build connections with people, sure. That's great. Mm-hmm. You know? No, I, um, I think I was a 16 year old until I was about 27 or 28. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, I was obsessed with, uh, my, my, my aesthetics, like my physical aesthetics. Yeah. Um, I was obsessed with this car and I was yeah. so, you know, I kept everything so tight knit and, and clean. And like, I was going to the gym six days a week and like it, but yeah. the problem was, is it gave me like these, uh, these dopamine dumps and this, this feeling of, I have it all, but yeah. the, the pit never disappeared. It, yes. it, it never went anywhere. I feel it didn't I dated, make me any better. I, I dated a man like you <laughs> like, yeah, or the man he used to be. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you're all it's getting a little you're all quiet podcast, in here. podcast over. Thank you so much for appearing. Uh, today. We're gonna delete cat. Um, thank you for joining. Get it? Get it? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I pride myself on saying this is who I was. No, yeah, I know. That's why I was joking. You know, absolutely. I, yeah. There, there's a point where you're like, I, I don't I like admitting that I was this person. But when you admit that you're that per, or you were that person, you also recognize the growth that you've made. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, I don't like admitting that I didn't finish college because I was too scared. Mm-hmm. Does do it still feel icky sometimes? Still feel like me? Or does it still feel icky? That I didn't finish college? Yeah. No, still that feel... doesn't finish it. No, Good. I don't feel icky about it. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. no. Um, but it, it that took a while. It felt like a failure, just like my divorce felt like a failure. Just mm-hmm. like um, the fact that I never had a real job felt like a failure. I mean, the only reason I became an entrepreneur is because I was forced into it. You know, um, I, like I said, I'm really good at intrinsic, like extrinsically motivated to do things, but mm-hmm. if I do it on my own, I'm not very good at it. So I know my weaknesses. So I force myself to give myself these experiences, you know, mm-hmm. but no, it doesn't feel like anymore because I realized when I was young, I felt I kind of didn't have a choice. I was just following the Mormon girl thing, got married young and had kids young and was a stay at home wife for 12 years, 13 years, no job, no nothing. I mean, I had a job. My job was raising the kids, mm-hmm. cooking breakfast, lunches, dinners, decorating, mm-hmm. yard work, homework with the yeah. kids, all of that. So I had a job, but, but no, so no, I, I no, I don't feel like a failure anymore. I feel like mm-hmm. what I did, I contributed a lot to society, raising my children that way. Now that's not to say you have to stay home and raise your kids that way, but for me, mm-hmm. it feels good to say that. Do you think it was because you were able to to do the opposite of these things. Like you didn't go to college, but you provide for yourself and you're an entrepreneur, you know, hundred percent. you may have had a failed, failed marriage, but you're happier, you know, when, when you're handling you, when you're in control of yourself and you're, 100%. you're okay being single. Of and, course. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I've been able to prove myself wrong uh-huh. and I've been able to take, again, get in that driver's seat. I've been able to be a grown up, not a kid anymore. I don't, I don't blame people for where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. I used to have you found that the more you question, the more I want to say growth, but I'm kind of pointing us in a direction here. It's all right. You can leave. <laughs> um, I've been told no, not your to. honor leading question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's like this, 
especially in in the in the world of men that you you become obsessed and and fantastic at something which is great i I don't i don't don't think there's anything wrong with that totally yeah but i think the i the stereotype of the bullshit stereotype of men today the machismo you know the hierarchy uh the status um the the purposeful lack of emotion the pride in all of the the risky you know immature things Mm -hmm. um I think culture or society has created a pride in all of this stuff. And I think that if you stick to this one thing, you stay single dimension, you know, and I've found personally that I don't try to conquer everything, Mm -hmm. but the more I have perspective and the more I try to see things from a different angle, the more I read, the more I understand other people, the more I have compassion for other people, Uh, And the more that I can love them for just being human, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think that's where, unfortunately, a a lot of men go wrong is they, they stick to what society says that men are Mm -hmm. and get arrogant about it, in my opinion, you know, Mm -hmm. get sure of themselves and discredit everything outside of what they've been taught or what they've learned them, you know, Mm -hmm. If, if it stays too restricted, then they start objectifying the world around them. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Or at least this has been the experience of Zachary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I guess does, I does all the questioning help really you? Hard. What was it? Say re- it again. I guess does all, does all the questioning seem like it helps you relate better and, and grow more, I guess? Yes. 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 When I know everything, there is no growth. When I know everything, I become bitter, resentful, angry, and ugly. Ooh, lots of stuff. Yes. Every, you, the people that know everything, they're the ugliest people I know. Not just physically, right? I, yes. I'm, well, it does manifest itself physically. It really does. People get that hard set oh. look about their jaw. They get that, they get that hard face. Actually, you're very right. Yes. Yeah. And I don't mean like traditionally beautiful or traditionally handsome, but they have that that look about them, that angry look. And and it's not attractive. Yeah. Yeah, I call that ugly. Now, Ooh. if you have a big nose and you're a curious person, you're not ugly. You know what I mean? It's I don't, so yeah, I don't yeah. mean like that. I just mean they have that like look and you're just like, I want anything to do with that person. Yeah, and that's that kind of like that sixth sense that mm-hmm. uh, you know I've I've been trying to pick up on or, or recognize. But dogs like when, have. <laughs> they yes. know ugly. Dogs know ugly. <laughs> That's probably true. It's a, a generic term, but you know what I'm trying to say. No, totally. But I think it's something that that well, curiosity keeps you young. Curiosity mm-hmm. keeps you in a growth mindset. Curiosity keeps you humble. Curiosity keeps you from being defensive all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, well, Dad, this happened. No, it didn't. Well, okay, that's not a curious mindset. That makes them ugly, right? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I did that. I didn't know I did that. Tell me more, son. What do you mean yeah. by that? Those are curious questions to ask. When my yeah. daughter tells me about a resentment she has about me when she was 12 years old, I don't mm-hmm. shut her down. God, I hope not. If she's listening, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I'm like, tell me what, tell me what you mean. Mm-hmm. That keeps me curious, mm-hmm. which then establishes a better relationship with her. 
because she feels understood. Even if I don't understand, I'm trying mm. to understand. That's all that counts, right? That's all that matters if you try. The effort. Yeah. yeah, even if I will never understand, because I'll never understand what her experience was like being raised by a mother whose husband was at war for mm. half of her childhood, over half her childhood. She'll never understand that, mm-hmm. like where I was coming from, but that's okay. She doesn't need to. And I don't need to understand her perspective. I just need to listen, be curious mm-hmm. about her experience. Mm-hmm. Understanding is overrated. Curiosity is underrated. I'm going to write that down. What? <laughs> you should you should because maybe it'll build maybe it'll build into something like maybe the idea will will make you wander but it's like he doesn't you know? understand me well how can he mm-hmm. well, how entitled are you to think someone's gonna understand you knock it off Ooh. You know? knock it off <laughs> there's the abrasive cat i like well i mean but but you should expect your dad to be curious sure mm-hmm. Or not expect him, but it's disappointing when he's not curious. Yeah. But when someone's curious, you're, you're never quite that upset with them, are you? Less, less. Yes, yeah. I, I think that I would agree. I would definitely less more or less, less of. But less, yeah. Mm-hmm. Less than, oh, whatever. Uh, less, less than, less, uh, yeah, <laughs> less than. You guys give us a break. Cat and I are humans. Uh, <laughs> I don't have the best vocabulary. It's okay. Not even great, right. great at English. It's my first language. We're doing, the, we're doing the best we can here. We're doing I'm the write... best we can. <laughs> and that's what I want people to see. I just want the listeners to be curious about... Like, where am I asking? About what? I was making a joke. I was like, I just want the listeners to be curious about what we can't speak English. <laughs> you got me. I, I think it... Uh, you know, it, it, it could possibly come from not being allowed to speak. And so I, I spit oh, things I out very quickly. Oh, I was asking the question in jest. Oh, well, I guess I got a little too introspective there. <laughs> uh, oh. Uh, no, that's all right. I, I think it can be, you can get inside your head a little too much sometimes. You know, you, you got to allow yourself to, totally. to, to be with other people and to be present and, you know not be so totally so inside your own head you know but um, also critical thinkers and curious mm-hmm. people do talk very fast they do it's just a common out common trait oh man see i feel so much better about myself now yeah let yourself off the hook oh i i i like monkey across those hooks like <laughs> i feel <laughs> i'm proud i'm like i can hang on, no, I can hang on. it may no. be unhealthy but I'm fucking strong, man. Yeah, I know you are. (laughs) I know you are. You don't have to suffer so much, though. (laughs) True. True. That's that's why that's why I like talking about grace. So, like, I talk about resiliency. Let's talk about grace, grit, and then there's grace, which is let yourself off the hook. Because again, hanging on that hook is like you're being some weird martyr. Yeah. Which the world doesn't need that. Yeah. And then. Then the martyr brings you to the victim, though. Ooh, yes. So do you think that people can actually regress then? Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And maybe that's where the, the grace comes into play. Yeah, like, oh, my gosh, I wasn't this enough today. I'm going to beat myself up. Uh, I'm going to hang yeah, on this hook sticky. and, like, put it to my back like a Viking 
torture oh, session. God, you're like, so visual. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm all like, like, you know, like that. <laughs> I watched the Vikings a few months ago and they did. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but like, yeah, you can do that. And then you're a martyr. And then what? Again, if your life goal, your life coach, Zach, if your goal is really to help people, mar- being a martyr doesn't help anyone. No, I, I, I agree. And that is, as far as me being influential to people, sometimes I think that I can be too abrasive, but that's only my own perspective, right? Yeah. Ultimately, the thing that I would expect, I know we're not supposed to expect things from people, but that's why it, you know, it comes from a, a one directional platform because people can decide to listen or not listen. That's, that's their choice. Uh-huh. But what I expect from people is to question all of it, question all of it, question the bad things, question the good things, question uh, the trauma, question what you do know, what you don't know, uh-huh. question all of it to see where it takes you, uh-huh. question, Absolutely. question this martyrism to see if you can find, you know, give yourself grace, see if uh-huh. you can turn things around for yourself. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's good to ignore the bad. I think sometimes people get so worried about how positive that they need to be, that they, they deflect from their shadow, the things that they need to actually process and pay attention to in order to understand why that shadow is there and to right. allow themselves to get away from it. Right. You know, I believe that yeah. there's a balance and the negative and positive both have a purpose. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. In my own experience, martyrs are usually very self-serving people. Mm-hmm. they want to be like look at me how much i'm suffering for you now you owe me something oh <laughs> very direct cat well not to you but you know what i mean <laughs> no no I, I i get it um it's direct yeah i think no. i very much see it yeah it's out there yeah i mean think about it and i mean god in terms of christianity jesus christ is the ultimate martyr mm-hmm. he died for our sins so now we owe him everything. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, I'm not very good with religion. So that I didn't actually realize, but that that's, perspective. That, that's where it comes from though. He, oh. We're, we're Judeo Christian country. Most of the world, See, is, not most of the world. I shouldn't ooh. say most, most of the world is not Christian. So I shouldn't say most of the world. So how much the world is, but our, this, our part of the world is. And yeah. so we think that being a martyr means that we're good people, but no, Oh my God. Being a martyr means that people owe us something. Yeah. Look at everything I've done for you. Mothers say that to their children all the time. Yeah, that's true. Well, your children doesn't know your shit. You're the one that chose to have them. <laughs> <laughs> you guys should see a cat's face when she says this right now. It's, still like stoic like i'm all, no i'm like what i mean don't yeah, whatever. me a river yeah don't I'm force you to, to get shit. pregnant and have a baby yeah <laughs> <laughs> or say it's your husband after everything i do to you so leave him he doesn't owe you anything uh, yeah or you know what i'm saying i mean i know we're going off on so many tangents tonight but it's like it's that whole like again we're back to that victim mentality we're yeah. back to that moving through fear People become martyrs because they live in fear. Okay. 
No, I, I think, um, well, so this is the, these are the types of conversations, these little, um, <laughs> these little pieces that I think bring stuff together and, and create a perspective. You know, it's, it's not yeah. always about uh, the speech that someone creates that is flawless, that, that makes no. you think or fit makes you feel motivated. Right. You know? No. So people become martyrs because they live in fear that no one will love them. Mm. Mm. So it's, it's almost like asking for the attention that you're not getting. Yeah. And so that's why there's no boundaries. That's why there's this, that's why there's that, but it's everyone wants love. So we all find these different ways to get love. Mm-hmm. Martyrism is the biggest way to get it. Cause that's how we were taught from birth due to Christian ideals, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not blaming Christianity on all of it, but you know, but it's inherent in our st- structure as a country mm-hmm. and in our DNA, you know? Well, that's why I think it's so important to question everything is because wherever you come from, if there's resistance, people aren't going to like that. I said that they're going to really hate it, but like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. But if you have to give everything you are to someone to get love, is that love? Mm -hmm. Like, or is that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you have to like lay yourself down on the floor and whatever, and let people step all over you, walk all over you or do all you know ultimately sacrifice yourself to get love i'm not interested Mm -hmm. in that what do you think that you've had to question the most that that exactly that thing yeah 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 because as an army wife i gave everything i had to support him and that made me a good wife you had an answer but it didn't feel good right no, because I, yeah. I never got the value I was seeking because mm-hmm. there's no way he could have given it to me anyways. That's not, that's, that wasn't his fault, you know, but I wanted the world yeah. to look at me as the long suffering wife. I wanted the world to look at me as the pretty wife. I wanted the world to look at me as the wife that had it all together. The wife that looked beautiful and had these wonderful children and had this wonderful officer who's <clears throat> overseas doing things he can't talk about. And isn't that like this mystique and this shadow and like yeah. this romance and like a weird, like Tom Clancy meets Louis L'Amour novel all in one, you know, <laughs> it was like, you know, like, like I wanted that. I wanted to be that long suffering wife so I could get the praise and adulation. Mm-hmm. So I martyred myself so I could get the praise and the love and the adulation and the honor, which I never got enough of. <laughs> like you, you, you want more and more of it. It's never, well, I got it, to... but it wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah. It continues. Just what a vicious circle. Yep. Mm-hmm. And rough. only because certain opportunities presented themselves, opportunities disguised as divorce, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. opportunities disguised as betrayal, as infidelity, as all sorts of things mm-hmm. is how I found who I am today. I love who you are, Kat. Thank you. I, I think, do too. I think I think you turned out awesome. I mean, not that you're done growing or anything, but no, I better not be. Oh shit. Yeah, I better <laughs> not be. So to round this off. Yes. Um I I definitely want people to feel like they're taking the, the best perspective from you as possible. So we've talked about fear, you know, we've talked about all these experience and stuff. We've talked about, you know, what we question and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what would be the ultimate perspective, I guess, that would help people see, um, see that they're not limited, see that they, they are very capable. What is your idea in a whole to be rebel minded and to find your own way and believe in yourself and be confident? Hmm. Well, I think the one thing is to stay curious, stay curious about other, other people and yourself. And as soon as you find yourself believing something hundred percent, get more curious and see if it's true. Mm. That's how you stay a rebel curiosity. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. I have all these great, you know, different angles coming in. And that's what I want people to hear right there. Yeah. I like, mean, that's the first thing I could think of. I, I, if we talked for another 30 minutes, I could come up with 50 more attributes, but, <laughs> but we're not going to do that. So I would say, stay curious, always question yourself. Mm-hmm. So what do you, is there anything out there as far as like readings or oh. actions or habits that you would? Um, I feel self-conscious about the question about readings because I feel like I don't read enough. I consume a lot, but I I can never come up with books off the top of my head. But I would Mm -hmm. say get the Dr. Um, Edith Eager books. Dr. Edith Eager. Voices is one and gifts is the other one. Um, She's the first female voice to come out of uh, the Holocaust. We all know Viktor Frankl. We all know. But he was 35 years old and already a doctor when he was in Auschwitz. She wasn't in Auschwitz. uh, She was 16 she was ugly. She was told she wasn't smart, all these things. And now she's a doctor right now and she's 92 years old. So I would suggest those if someone's looking for a female perspective, um, not to discount Victor Frankel, of course, but. Oh, it's a great book. Um, yeah. So I would suggest that book and I, uh, what was the thing? Oh, I would suggest habits. Like how do you stay in the rebel minded spirit or how do you stay in a curiosity spirit habits, yeah. positive habits, whether it's working out, whether it's, yoga, whether it's waking up and meditating, whether it's having a bedtime ritual, doesn't really matter what the habit is, stick with it and do it. It becomes who you are. That becomes your identity. You start creating new identities. You can discard old labels and then you can keep staying curious. I fucking love it. Thank you. I That's love awesome. Cat. For me. <laughs> okay. So where are the best places for people to find Oh, me. Oh, uh, let's see. I have a website, which is catavery.com. Catherine was all taken up. I used to hate the word cat as a nickname for me, but I've embraced it. Speaking of old new identities, I was always like, my name's Catherine, Uh, but now it's cat. So I've just embraced it. And then I'm on Instagram as cataverycoach. And then on Facebook, which I don't use too much, it's just Catherine Resilient and Gritty. Catherine is spelled K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, but no one knows how to spell that, which is why Kat is now my Instagram handle. Kat. <laughs> oh, Kat is K-A-T, by the way. K-A-T. A-T. Yeah. Well, Kat, I'm so glad I had you on. This was super fantastic. I think we had a great conversation. Yeah, it's been fun. I think it it's went been a lot really of fun. Well. <laughs> no, you made me think a lot more than I, I mean, you asked me some questions that were tough. I like that. That's why we're here. This is the question. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, everybody. Thank you for the experience. Of course. And thank you for thank you for joining. It's been awesome. Um, thank you, everybody that has 
come to listen to this episode. Thank you for being on the Rebel Minder podcast and listening to Kat Avery and myself. Stay strong and stay rebel minded. I'm out. Here we are again at the end. I'm starting to tear up a little bit. And I just want you to know that I'm going to miss you. And I appreciate you. And I love you. And I hope that whatever you're after, you keep fighting for it. Your experience is uniquely your own. And so that means so are the challenges that you face. Stay strong and don't let anyone diminish who you are or what you dream of being. As your friend and fellow flawed human, stay rebel-minded, my friends. Until next time.